This is season three of the Dundeal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investments, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. Um, we're going to be talking about um, third-party investment today. Um, for Marco's sake as well, you'll be pleased to know that I'm wearing a different T-shirt for the day, even though my cap um, is still the same and glasses are still there. But, um, yeah, so... Uh, the, the, the week to hand so far has gone pretty quickly talking about agents um, and we're now going to change track a little bit and talking about third party um, investment. Um, and so as usual, what I wanted to try and do was um, give you a little bit of insight, break it down into threes um, as always um, and talk about three specific areas of third party investment. It's called sometimes some people call it third party investment. Um, other people call it third-party ownership. I like to think it's more investment than, than ownership, um, but again, the, those phrases are relatively uh, interchangeable. So for those that are new that are starting to join, thanks for coming along um, and joining. The idea usually is that we do 15 minutes of me chatting, and then I try and limit that as much as possible with my monotone voice. Um, but after that, um, then we try and do some questions for around 15 minutes or so. So what are the three areas that um, we want to try and talk about today? Um, we're going to talk about three things. The first is what is third party investment slash ownership and why did it come across more or less in Tevez gate? I like to call it Carlos Tevez. The second thing we're going to talk about is what are the advantages and disadvantages of third party investment? And the third is, um, although the practice was banned in 2015, what's actually changed? Um, so uh, they are the three topics that we're going to try and um, talk about. Every, a few people have asked in the background what, what that is there. So that basically is um, a present I got for our wedding. It's the Beatles, uh, basically. And because um, I'm from Liverpool originally um, and grew up there and still like the Beatles quite a bit and I'm a Liverpool fan, um, without being too much product placement, I thought I'd have a little Beatles <laughs> cushion in the way. All right. Let's uh, get cracking with um, third-party investment. So what are we talking about when we think about third-party investment? Get comfortable. Um, third-party investment in uh, the football industry is now banned by FIFA. But if we take it back a stage and try and understand what it is, it involved a practice where a football club was not entitled to all of the future transfer value of their players. So it's important to understand why TPI was pretty widespread and the implications for the industry, because for a while it played a pretty large part in assisting some clubs such as Porto or Atletico Madrid or others and others to achieve quite a lot of on-field sporting success and profitable player trading um, off-field. So by way of brief background, there were, pre were lots of different models for uh, TPI agreements, but the basic premise was that companies, businesses or individuals um, provided football clubs or their players with money in return for owning a percentage of a player's future 
transfer value. Now, this transfer value was also commonly referred to as a player's economic rights. And there are plenty of companies that acted as uh, speculators by purchasing uh, percentages, percentage shares um, in a player directly from a club in return for a lump sum that the club could use as it wished. Companies also provided different types of financial support for young and up-and-coming players, and this support might have taken the form of um, meeting housing costs, monthly payments to players and their families, paying for travelling, training, equipment, um, schooling, for example, in, uh, for, uh, by way of example. And, and usually in return, the player agreed that the investor was then entitled to a percentage um, of any future transfer fee when the player signed a pro contract with the football club. So that was the, the quid pro quo. Now, although these agreements are now banned under FIFA with a couple of caveats that we'll talk about um, shortly, the question to consider is how effectively the, the practice became, became such a um, widespread phenomenon and caused so many issues in a variety of different leagues. And, and that leads on to uh, Tevez Gate by way of a brief example. Now, um, Carlos Tevez, obviously a fantastic player, still playing, um, but his circumstance came to light um, in the Premier League because of his transfer from Corinthians to um, West Ham. So it was back in 2006 where Tevez and Javier Mascherano uh, moved from Corinthians to, to West Ham. Um, and at the time, we didn't know this, but the economic rights of Tevez uh, were not owned by either club, either Corinthians or West Ham, but were instead retained by two different companies. And those companies had the power to force West Ham to accept transfer bids from other clubs for both those players at particular times. Now, when West Ham submitted the player contracts for Tevez to the Premier League, they didn't submit those other TPI agreements which gave transfer control to those companies. And wondering effectively how West Ham had acquired such high-profile players, the, the, the Premier League actually contacted the club. Um, and at the time, West Ham said they owned all the rights to Tevez and Mascherano. But it was only later after a, um, a takeover, I think it was by the Icelandic um, uh, consortium at the time in uh, probably 2007, did actually West Ham disclose to the Premier League that there were private TPI agreements in place. So as a result of that, Premier League decides to refer the breach to their disciplinary commission. And when they convened um, in, I believe, looking at my notes, April 2007, two days before West Ham played their third to last game of the season. So what they decided to do, the, the disciplinary commission, was fine West Ham five and a half million pounds and demanded that the club terminate the TPI agreements in order to retain Tevez for the remainder of the season. Now, Interestingly, um, what actually happened uh, is that they didn't. They, the, the disciplinary commission decided not to um, not to impose a points sanction, which could have been within the realms of possibility, and only fine West Ham um, that amount of money. Um, this all became pretty relevant because Tevez then played a pretty substantive part in those last three games culminating in him scoring the only goal against Manchester United, basically keeping West Ham up at the expense of Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United then went through quite a long um, arbitration process and high court process, and it was reported that a few years down the line, West Ham actually agreed to pay Sheffield United upwards of £18 million over five years. 
the, the point being, I guess, ultimately that West Ham retained their Premier League status uh, whilst at the expense of Sheffield United, who at the time of a couple of years ago weren't in the Premier League. They're obviously back now and, um, and doing pretty well. So um, that's Tevez Gate, and that was the brief aspect about um, uh, how things came to pass. As a result of that, Premier League bans the, uh, the practice of third-party investment. The FA and uh, the EFL do similar things, and there are other cases involving a player called Fowling when he was at QPR, which caused controversy as well. That led in 2015 to um, FIFA banning um, the practice. But what I wanted to do before talking about the ban slightly and what's then the evolved nature of the TPI process to date is just talk through a couple of the main concerns and main advantages of TPI. I set them out in my book in a bit more detail, but I just wanted to talk them through in at least some um, aspects. So what were the main concerns about TPI that were voiced by a number of people in the industry, um, a number of national associations included? So one of the main ones was a conflict of interest that could occur between investors, um, owners, agents or um, coaches, for example. So let's just say the owner of a club also owns a transfer percentage in a player playing against his club. So say it again, owner of a club owns a transfer percentage in a player playing against his club. Are his loyalties to the club, i.e. to win the game, or to his player? who's playing against his club to increase his transfer value. The other example for conflicts might be an agent who owns a transfer percentage in a player. He assists clubs in finding and identifying players, but he's also an advisor to the TPI fund. Does he recommend players that he has an interest in? Now, some of these things might be uh, transparency issues, but again, there was no transparency at the time about those type of things. So the authorities were concerned that any possible conflict might damage the image and public confidence um, of the game. Now, the other issue effectively was that clubs would become particularly or potentially very, very reliant on TPI. And I can understand this point to a degree, um, encourage short term profit making with the economic owners of the players looking to the club to sell its players to realise their asset at the expense of any on field concerns which meant effectively that the consequence would be rapid turnover of players, fans having less connection with the players, players having less loyalty to the club, knowing that they may be transferred at, at short term. Um, so that's, the, that's more or less a couple of the um, concerns and disadvantages about third-party um, investment. Um, some of the important bits, or rather the advantages that a lot of clubs especially felt um, had um, in being able to finance these types, the purchase of such players with that assistance. Um, and as a result of that, um, a growing number of clubs who otherwise wouldn't have been able to compete because of a lack of broadcasting money in a particular league suddenly increased in terms of competitive balance. So there was a competitive advantage enabling them to be able to um, showcase those players um, across Champions League or Europa League, for example, and um, I guess as a result, then be able to uh, share in the upside when the player does pretty well. And that leads on to the, the second bit in a way, which was, you know, ultimately purchasing players was a quite a risky business. Clubs had less money to spend, would be more risk averse. And therefore, helping having a club help alleviate that financial burden obviously made the whole process 
um, less risky. So alleviating that risk became quite an important element, um, simply because the player might not do well, he gets injured, falls out with the coach, whatever else it might be. So they were the two types of de-risk or risk advantages um, to, uh, to have TPI um, there or thereabouts. So as I mentioned, third-party investment then banned um, in 2015. Um, as a result of that, uh, what then effectively happens? So we fast forward now, actually, I'm just going to check how we're doing for time. Yep, we're okay, I think, for the moment. Um, fast forward. Um, now to the summer of 2019. Um, we're in a position now where FIFA has almost had over four years of banning the practice of a third party, i.e. usually a funding company, from owning a stake in the future transfer value of the player. But what actually happened then during last summer um, was a recent amendment because the question remained and wasn't necessarily open as to whether a player was classed as a third party or not, i.e., was uh, could a player have an interest in his own transfer value, or could it only still be the club that is selling the player and any former club that has um, a sell-on clause, for example? Now, the position that FIFA set out appears relatively clear, but has a pretty significant impact on players, clubs, and, and, and agents. And the, the short answer is there is now an amendment which permits a player to own a percentage of his or her, his or her future transfer fee. So what, how this works in practice um, is that players through their agents could, for example, when um, a transfer is happening or a renegotiation of, his con of a player's contract, they can request that they receive a certain percentage of any future transfer fee. And when I say they, I mean the player. It's only the player that can do that. The agent can't at the moment. But say a player negotiates a 20% future transfer fee clause, and if the club subsequently sells them for 20 million, then the player, in theory, could be entitled to 20% of the transfer fee, i.e. 4 million pounds, and that obviously is you know, hugely significant. Um, now, in practice, the total amount might vary because there may be um, uh, net amounts received by clubs by way of sell-on clauses or other things. Um, but that's quite an important bit. And the reason why um, that could be important generally is that um, over the summer and the winter windows and future windows, um, such clauses are probably going to be used as additional leverage in negotiations when commercial terms are being discussed. And it might well be just that if wages is one, is um, uh, sell-on uh, sell is another, is uh, uh, signing on fees, loyalty bonuses, image rights stuff, um, it might well be that a player, because they see big upside and or his agent might see big upside in a future transfer fee percentage, that they may even um, take a lower salary, weekly wage, etc. Or that the club mindset might incentivize the star player to sign an additional contract because they know they'll receive a future percentage of a transfer fee. Now, um, probably out of thought that if such a clause is agreed, agreed, the player will probably want to ensure a release clause alongside it for the obvious reason that there's no point having a percentage future transfer fee if um, ultimately the, the club can uh, say no to the transfer. So that's one of the things um, to consider there. And obviously the other bit that's um, bearing in mind actually a few of the other sessions we've done, especially on transfer fees, as you'll know, 
is that if a transfer fee is paid in installments, maybe over two or three years, that whilst the player may be entitled to say 20% of a, a, four, a 20 million transfer, i.e. 4 million, if that fee is paid by the buying club in four yearly installments, the player could actually be waiting a number of years to receive his full um, um, third party, well, not third party, his own future transfer fee. So it's not as easy as 20 million transfer, 4 million if it's 20% um, fee being paid to the player. It may actually be um, a number of years in the future. So we are at 16, almost 17 minutes. I've gone on a tiny bit longer than um, expected, uh, but thank you for putting up with me. Um, I'm going to open the floor now to a few potential questions and see uh, what we have got for today. So, uh, hey, everybody. Um, Mark. So one of the questions here is, uh, should it be outlawed or should it be regulated and all interests registered and publicized? Agreed. I mean, that was at the time, um, back in 2015 or 14, when actually FIFA was consulting on this. And then um, it blindsided quite a few people as to then when the ban actually happened, because uh, ultimately, um, I think there was a, somewhat of a groundswell for a more transparent approach, i.e. a register um, publication of um, who owned who, who had investments in who, um, and also a limited amount to a particular amount in the squad, um, or a limited amount to a particular uh, percentage of um, a future transfer fee that any one company could have influence over either a player or a squad of those players. And then, and then FIFA came out with a worldwide ban. But bear in mind, there were already bans in place um, across different leagues, obviously the Premier League. Um, and the FA and the EFL being some of the most significant ones too. Um, Hilda Georgina, hey Daniel, what are the benefits of third-party investment for players in a transfer fee? Um, well, if you're talking there about the possibility of players owning a future right to the transfer fee, then yes, obviously it can be um, extremely lucrative. And as I mentioned, then that can be sometimes some of the, the leverage that can be used either club side, um, player side, I mean, there's also potentially FFP advantages is the truth. The, the short-term FFP advantages is if you if a club is able to pay the player less, um, obviously that can be potentially an FFP saving. The flip side is that if they're giving away some of their transfer fee, then they'll be able to recoup less of it for FFP purposes if actually they're not um, receiving it. Um, Mark, is the player having an interest in his transfer fee also a potential conflict of interest? Well, I would. I don't know if it's a conflict of interest for the player because the the the, the player is obviously potentially incentivized to leave um, if he knows that there's going to be um, a large transfer fee. He or she knows there's going to be a large transfer fee. Um, it, it there's a question about whether there wouldn't necessarily be the conflict because in the end, unless there's a release clause, the club has the ultimate ability to refuse or reject or accept um, that potential bid. So really, my view, as I mentioned just previously, is if there's no release clause with a, with, um, a third party investment percentage, then the player isn't in control of his own destiny, which can obviously be um, a bit of a problem. Um, OK, let's have a look. We've got quite a few more questions. Javier, um, so uh, the percentage of a resale in a future transfer is only available for the player correct and is there a limiting cap for this type of clause 
Yes, so it's only available for the player, but obviously also um, in a different contract, there could the potential be for by way of sell-on for a previous club to have a percentage of the the, the, trans, the, the transfer value of that particular deal. And is there a limiting cap for this type of clause? Um, yeah, it could be whatever is drafted. It could be a number of things. It could be that the club says, fine, you can take a percentage over 20 million, for example, um, so that the first 20 million, you receive nothing, the player, and after over 20 million, you receive X percentage. It would also be a, a top-end side, which is um, you can receive 5% of everything up to 30 million, for example, but then after that, you don't receive anything more. So there's different ways that it could potentially uh, be done. Um, Aria. What are your thoughts on TPI? Do you think it should be brought back? Um, I think it's very unlikely it's going to get brought back at the moment, is the truth. Um, FIFA are pretty strong on it. There's been a number of court cases on it as well. Um, there's particular cases involving uh, FC Sarang, I think it is. Um, there have been cases involving a number of third-party companies as well that have taken the matters um, to court, which haven't been successful as yet. So I think it's pretty unlikely. There definitely isn't the um, the point in the moment where it can be brought back easily. And I don't think there is an appetite on the part of FIFA for that to happen either. Um, Sino, what was the general percentage that third-party investors would receive of the transfer? It completely depended, actually. Um, you know, it was reported that it could be from up to, from twenty percent up until you know sixty seventy percent of the transfer, which obviously um, you know can be can be pretty significant. Um, Haroon, uh, what are the key commercial terms of third party investor looks for in a future transfer of a player? So well, this is the point. So a third party investor can't get involved in transfers anymore. Um, it's only the player that can have that right. And the player needs to be very careful about giving away that right because that would potentially be in breach of the third-party investment rules. Um, Celso, uh, do you consider that if third-party investor gets a financial return from a specific player transfer, that is contrary to the FIFA regulations on TPO? Um, it would sound like it, um, is, my, is my view, but it probably needs to understand a bit more detail. Um, when a player is owned, as you know, when a player is owned, um, by TPI, does this club still pay the players' wages? Well, at the moment, there are no TPI. My understanding is should be that there shouldn't be any TPI-owned players right now. Um, but in the past, what would sometimes happen is um, the, the third-party investment company that would provide the money to the, the club may decide that the club may then decide to subsidise their that players' increased wages in order to keep the player at the club that they otherwise might not have been able to do. Um, as is, in your experience practice, have you come across a player who has a sell-on clause in his, her own transfer? Do you think this will become more common in, in coming years? Yeah, I think it's going to become more common because it looks like the possibility or, or uh, uh, potential avenue um, is there. It ultimately depends on what national associations regulations could be. Um, but yeah, I think um, th there's definitely that possibility. Um, Oli, third-party ownership is still well used in Formula One. Yeah, understood. That can sometimes be the, the case. Um, yeah, and query whether the, there is a significant difference. Um, Enrique, Enrique, 
An agent can't have a percentage of the economic rights of a player, but if he negotiates a 20% interest for his player, can he also negotiate that with the player at the point of representation contract that the player will have to pay him half of 20% if he's sold by the club? Yeah, the short answer is they but the agent shouldn't be doing that because that would be a breach of the third party um, investment rules that if there is money that is being paid to the player, the player shouldn't be paying that on because that will effectively be paying on to a third party, i.e. some contractual right for that third party to have that percentage um, uh, interest. But great question. Um, Dr. Eckert's made a, a comment, um, which is it's become a common practice that agents are buying football clubs or shares in a club to go around um, and avoid TPI. So that's a, yeah, an interesting point there, which is sometimes what's actually happening um, is that uh, people in the industry are actually buying football clubs and then trading those players. And there's no TPI issues there because clubs, by their very means, own the economic rights of those players and federative rights. Um, and so that's, I think, what, um, yeah, the great point that Erko mentioned there. Football talent. Um, nowadays, several clubs act as TPI because uh, they put a sell on clause and future transfer fee to the new club that bought their player. Yep, agreed. That's the well. I wouldn't necessarily call that third party investment. So, you know, what what was pretty common in um, transfer agreements, as we talked about previously, is that sell on clauses can be inputted so that when that player is sold on, the initial selling club receives a percentage of the future transfer fee. So, yep, agreed there. Mark, I'm going to um, pass on this question, which is uh, how would this interest be treated for tax purposes? I mean, the short answer is if it's in the UK and the player is receiving a particular amount of money, then that would be taxed at the normal income tax rate would be my view. Arya, um, when a player owns his own future transfer fee in return for lower wages, what if the transfer never happens? Agreed. The transfer may not ever happen. So unless there is... Um, uh, a sell-on clause, which is not sell-on clause rather, but a buyout clause or a release clause, which basically says if a club bids this amount of money, then the player can go. Then the club has uh, absolute exclusive control over whether to accept a bid for a transfer or not. Um, Silas, does the player have a contractual relationship with the TP investor providing for rights and responsibilities for the athletes? Um, does the player have a contractual relationship with the third party? Um, I think just to clarify, you may need to ask, just clarify your question, but just for um, clarity to give to everybody else, my understanding of the regulations is, is that whilst the player can own a future percentage of his transfer value, no other entity apart from the club, the previous club by way of sell-on, can have that right um, either. Um, Next one. Oh, I think we're there. Okay, well, I'll hold on. I'll, oh, couple. Yep, yeah, sorry, a couple more questions. Um, let's talk about Stephen's point. So he said, sorry, but other than transparency and conflicts from particular owners and agents, I haven't heard you articulate a single reason why if a true investor should be able to invest and help clubs. I think I'm waiting, maybe waiting for the end of the next bit. Let me just check. I haven't heard you articulate a single reason why if a true investor should be able to invest. The, the, the issue more or less being is that um, a lot of the authorities, I think I mentioned it with the, the disadvantages for third-party investment, is um, 
loads of parties were concerned that the club was being bypassed, i.e. if the investor had um, a right to be able to potentially over, um, uh, effectively overrule the club, therefore that the investor could say, if we receive, if the club receives this amount of money, then the player has to be sold then that's not actually acting in the club's best interest. And now everyone's saying, well, maybe we don't need that clause in the contract. And then it can be still the ultimate autonomy of the player of the club to be able to sell. I mean, I think in that instance, no third party investor without some type of influence is going to um, accept that type of approach because ultimately then every club could take the third party investment and then just run down the player contract because it might not be in their interest to sell the player. So ultimately the quick Pro quo, the quid pro quo was always third party investor give me your money says the club and third party investor saying fine but we need to guarantee our money at some point and the rate of return on that and usually the rate of return on that was some type of material ability to influence the transfer outgoings of those particular players uh, so you know how does a player earn the right for a buyout clause is it based on talent um, it's based on negotiation position and a savvy agent on the whole and whether you're in a strong enough position to be able to ask for a release clause or a buyout clause mixed with um, that provision. So, uh, yeah, that tends to be that. Yeah, correct. I haven't done my quiz question. I completely forgot about it today, um, but I'll try and think of one for tomorrow. I was unfortunately having to do quite a lot of work today. <laughs> uh, Enrique? Can a player who owns an interest in his transfer put a drag-along clause in the contract with the club so he can force the club to sell him? So, yeah, what I was saying there is usually there will be some type of release clause or buyout clause um, to enable um, the player then to be able to activate um, his contractual entitlement. Um, so I think, yeah, Stephen's got a last point, but I think he's going to take it offline. We are basically at 30 minutes exactly. Um, I'm going to do a couple of things as usual, just make a couple of um, recommendations. The first is a few people have been asking about my um, attire and my, and my cap, basically. So um, just very briefly, uh, this cap is part of a range of um, cancer research, um, charity, um, fashion items that um, I've started selling, basically. So, yeah, very briefly, my mum's um, had a long-term battle with cancer. Her oncologist, a great guy called Dr. John Krell, um, is a fantastic guy. And um, I've been thinking of ways to be able to help um, fundraise for his fantastic research. And so one of the things that I decided to do was start a charity fashion brand um, where all of the proceeds would go towards um, uh, John Krell's fantastic research. So my charity fashion brand is called 13. 13 is quite a lucky number for for me and the family. Um, and so I've got a range of t-shirts, of uh, hoodies um, and caps and beanies. So this is my very soft sell way of saying, please go to my website and buy some merchandise, which hopefully goes to a very good cause. So I'll put the, um, the link to my website. Um, it would be great if you guys can take a look at it and even spread the word, which would be great. Um, so let me do that very shortly. And then the last bit is obviously the general recommendations. And my book recommendation for the day is um, this great book by uh, a brilliant writer called Matthew Syed. So the book's called You Are Awesome. It's actually meant for kids and young adults. Um, 
maybe it says a lot for me reading it that um, I've read it three or four times and I, I loved it. Um, I thought it was brilliant. It's all about confidence building, resilience, striving to achieve, getting better, getting used to not not getting the end result always right, but keep on persevering. It's a, it's a brilliant, 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 brilliant book. One of my favorites, actually. Um, so maybe I'll give away a copy of this tomorrow, depending on if people want a done deal copy or a copy of this. So I'd really recommend that. So let me type um, quickly the, the um, charity brand shop name, which is called 13shop. That's 13shop.co.uk. Um, that's the name of the website. Feel free to spread the word. And um, thank you very much for attending today. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share, and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.